Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about soybean cyst nematode. But if you've got any questions for me or anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email me, radio at agphd.com, or send me a note on Twitter, agphdmedia or Brian Hefty. So my brother Darren is out traveling this week, and... I'm doing the show by myself, so if uh, if you would like to call in, love to have you do that. Um, otherwise, I've got a number of topics to discuss today in addition to soybean cyst nematode. I have been getting a lot of questions here just lately like this one. What day corn should I plant? Someone told me yesterday that an agronomist in Illinois said there was a big seed company there who said it doesn't matter if you plant 95-day or 105-day corn now. It all finishes at the same time. Look at the university results. Well, look, that's a bunch of nonsense. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. But I would say this. Here's what they meant by that. Uh, And what they meant by it was fine. It's just that a lot of times in Illinois what happens is harvest is occurring in September. And I've always looked at that and gone, why are you guys harvesting in September? You have a longer growing season than us. I don't understand why you're not harvesting in October and November. But obviously they have more rainfall there than we do here in South Dakota. We harvest corn here in late October uh, in through November. Uh, If you want to get all your fall tillage done and everything else in a wetter area like Illinois is, then I can certainly understand that, that you want to finish early. But the point is, and the meaning behind what agronomists and seed companies are talking about in Illinois, is not that the corn finishes at the same time. Obviously, 95-day corn is going to finish earlier than 105-day corn. But their point is this, that it all gets done before freeze-up. Well, of course it does, because, I I mean, theoretically, in certain areas of Illinois, you could plant 130-day corn, and it would probably finish most years. So you just have to look at how many growing degree units do you have left by, let's call it November 1st, and uh, am I going to make it by then? So the University of Illinois has an excellent website where basically you can punch in what you want to plant for corn. It'll tell you how many GDUs there are on average and also what the high and the low range is so you can have an idea whether or not you're going to make it based on your normal first frost dates in your area. So really anywhere in the United States, you can run these calculations. It's pretty awesome by going to this website. So anyway, that's one of the things I would suggest you do. The next thing I would suggest is you got to be realistic. It's just like the guys that are asking right now, what maturity of soybeans should I plant? Well, look, I don't know for sure because I don't know how this fall is going to go. For example, in the last couple of years, we've had some really late frost dates. I mean, some of the latest we've ever seen. I can remember, though, not all that many years ago, maybe 10 years ago or so, where I think it was the end of August, and a few guys, even around here, had a frost that got down to 28 degrees and killed some of their their crop in the low-lying areas. Now, now, if you're going to have an August 25th frost in South Dakota, um, you you got a lot more problems than uh, than everything else that's going on this spring. That's 
extremely rare. So yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna count on that happening. But all I'm saying is you got to kind of be realistic and look at what your average fro first frost date is. And a light frost is one thing. A 28 degree or especially a 26 degree frost that's another thing. But with soybeans, what I worry about is are we gonna have green beans at harvest time? Just like with corn, I worry about is it gonna be 46 pound test weight? We want the corn to black layer. We want the soybeans to fully finish and have actual yellow beans when we get done. So when Darren and I have this talk all the time, talking late planting, every year we'll discuss hail, for example. This year it happens to be flood, but usually we're talking hail. Darren is a big believer in staying with later maturities on soybeans than I am because I've been burned before. So for me, I go pretty early. And already, like in my area here, I like about a 2.2, 2, 2, 2.3 maturity soybean as my full season bean that I plant May 1st to May 10th. When we get to the end of May, late May, I'm down to a 2.0 for maturity or even a little earlier. Right now, I'm talking mid-group 1 to late group one. By the end of June, and we will still be planting some beans the end of June here on our farm, we will plant, I, I, I'll, I'll put it this way, if it's me, I'm going to say late group zero. Darren's really going to probably push for a mid group one in late June. <laughs> so anyway, even for us who have years of experience and we work with farmers all over the continent, you know, we're still going to disagree on these things a little bit. The, the problem is nobody knows for sure what's going to happen with the weather afterwards, and that's the whole thing. So there isn't a one right answer when it comes to what day corn should I still plant? What maturity soybean should I plant? But here's what I know. Because acres are down this year in the United States, the crop prices are already up. I believe crop prices are going to go higher. Now, I have no idea but I believe crop prices are going higher. So I'm going to continue planting because even if I get a three-quarter crop, I think I'm going to come out dollars ahead. Plus then I leave my ground in better condition for next year. Uh, other questions. What should my planting population be? Look, on corn for me, I just told our guys on the farm, cut her back about 20% at this point. This late At this late date, we can't get 100% of yield anymore. If we can only get 80% of yield, why would I plant 100% of the plants? Now, with soybeans, I still want to plant all the plants because otherwise I don't have good uh, shade for the ground. I don't have as good a weed control. And soybeans are just a different crop compared to corn. But corn, I'm cutting the population back. Soybeans, I'm actually going to leave the population. And some studies have shown you should almost increase your population late. I'm not going to do that because soybeans cost a lot of money. And finally, how bad does my stand have to be before I replant? Again, it's a real judgment call. If you can get right back in, then, you know, like with soybeans, at least if I'm at 80,000 plants on corn, if at least I'm at 8, 15, 18,000 plants, I'm probably not replanting at this late date. But here again, it's a judgment call. If you have perfect weather later, maybe replanting can really pay. Well, we'll talk more about your questions later in the show, and we're going to discuss soybean cyst nematode coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Hey, Jimmy, any ideas for increasing corn yield? Rise up. Oh, I'd get up early and work hard. Rise up. Exactly. I could use faster growth, bigger ears, higher yield. Rise up. If only my yield could rise a few bushels. Rise up. Okay, Jimmy, I'm going to rise up. Yeah, let's rise up. His name says it all. Help your corn rise up to its potential with Rise Up Plant Growth Regulator from Valent USA Corporation. Ask your retailer about rise, rise up. Rise up to a higher yield. Hey! 
Always read and follow label instructions. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy 2 Save 3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. If you're like most dry bean growers, you don't go 30 seconds without thinking about the damaging effects of white mold. So let us spend the next 30 seconds telling you about Topsin fungicide from UPL. Topsin is a leading brand used by growers. Why? Because season after season, Topsin delivers superior protection and complete peace of mind. In short, Topsin works. So don't spend your time thinking about white mold. Spend your time controlling it. To get Topsin, call your UPL representative or distributor. Read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to talk a little about soybean cyst nematode. But as always, if you've got a question for us or anything you'd like to talk about going on in your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send me an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show. But right now we've got Steve Sofer on with us. He is with Valent. Hey, Steve, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Other than there are a lot of cyst nematodes out there, and I'm really concerned about it this year because what's happened across really all of North America is we've seen just tremendously wet conditions. Guys have changed their cropping plans, and I'm looking at even on my own farm where I had some fields that were going to go corn, now I'm probably going to have to go back to beans. And that's a bad recipe if you already have cyst nematode out there. You planted soybeans last year. Now you're going to plant soybeans again this year. Uh, can you talk to us just a little about your new Aveo product that you guys have for cyst nematode control? Well, right. With all the beans on beans that are uh, going to be planted this year, we've got a new product called Aveo. It's a biological dematicide, so it's very safe. Um, has a very low rate when applied to seed, but it's got a, uh, a high count of colonies on there that uh, grow around the roots of the bacteria and to protect those roots from, from nematodes all season long. Okay, so there are some other biologicals that are out there right now. So uh, Votivo, Clariva, what's different about Aveo? Well, Aveo creates a, an environment around the roots that the nematodes just don't like and they can't reproduce in. Uh, it's, it's like us going out in a, in a hot day at 95-degree heat. We don't want to be out there. That's the same with the nematodes. Um, it's also a very stable product on the shelf. It's, uh, again, very safe. Uh, being a biological, it helps the plants also uh, come up out of the ground and have larger root systems. 
Uh, how about in these wet conditions? So with a veil, you've got to do it as a seed treatment, I believe, correct? That is correct. Okay, so let's say that I've got really wet conditions. A lot of times biologicals don't do very well when it is real wet out there. How is the survivability with the veil in a wet year like this? Survivability on a veil is excellent. I've had a lot of questions on different scenarios on the survivability of the bacteria, and it's a very hardy bacteria that we've selected to use in a veil. And so wet conditions are not going to be a problem. The, uh, the bacteria in the avail will be able to survive. And like I said, there's a lot of colonies in there. So even if it uh, becomes a, a little tough on, on the colonies to survive, there's plenty of them in there to survive and grow around the roots and protect them. How about with other seed treatments? I know a lot of farmers get really concerned because they're now putting multiple fungicides on the seed and insecticide, will the avail be okay with all that other stuff on the seed as well? Yeah, we've tested it with different fungicides. We've tested it with insecticides, which would probably be the biggest worry, and we have seen no issues with survivability with uh, the current insecticide that's in our package or or any other package that's out there. It's, it's Like I said, it's a very hardy uh, bacteria that we're using. Yeah, what I always tell people when they ask that question is they said, okay, fungicide kills fungus, insecticide kills insects, um, Aveo is a bacteria. We don't have any bactericides that I know of that we're putting on seed, so I think we should be pretty good. Uh, Steve, what else can yeah, you tell us? Safe. Yeah, what else can you tell us about Aveo? i got about a minute left here. Uh, just that uh, from what I've seen over the past uh, couple of years that we've been testing, uh, we're looking at reductions in the number of cysts on the plant um, by by about 90%. Uh, right now, the PI8878 gene is the most common gene. It's in probably 98% of the varieties that are being sold today. Uh, it's the genetic resistance in the soybean plant. And uh, we're seeing a lot of, of uh, colonies of cis nematode that are able to reproduce on that gene. And so even with not even going beans on beans, you need to look at something, a little extra protection because that 88788 is not, is not really doing it anymore. And what I saw um, in the field was just, like I said, I I've seen the 88788 failing and when, when you add the nematicide, that 90% reduction really gives you a lot of protection. Yeah, there isn't just one thing that a farmer should do for cystinematode. It's a combination of things. Like you said, uh, resistant beans, yep, that's nice. But what if we have uh, problems with the cystinematode surviving? So it's probably a good idea to use a treatment like this if you know you have cystinematode issues. Uh, well, Steve, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thanks. You bet. Thanks. All right, let's go next down to St. Louis, Missouri. We've got Davey Wilson on with us with Bear. Hey, Davey, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Brian? Excellent. Okay, so uh, I wanted to talk to you a little about NEMA strike because that's a little different with uh, compared to some of these biological treatments for nematodes. NEMA strike's an actual chemistry. What are you seeing out of that so far in terms of control and reduction of nematode counts? Yeah, so as you were right, so nemostrike is actually hard chemistry, so it's actually ingredients toxic. Um, it is a, 
um, labeled as a seed treatment and um, our corn, cotton, soybean row crops here in the U.S. And it is uh, very efficacious against um, all plant parasitic nematode species that we have been able to screen against that occur here in the U.S. And as far as like uh, uh, mortality or reduction or just efficacy in general, um, it's very efficacious. Um, we do see uh, outright mortality. It's a true nematicide, so it actually it actually causes mortality to the to the nematode itself. Um, and uh, even under really he really heavy pressure across, uh, just use SCN for an example, against all races, um, we're seeing you know 95 to 92 to probably 98 percent reduction um, in in our in our microplot screens and in the field. We we see the same same level of mortality. Um, it being hard chemistry, there is a half-life to it, obviously, right? So, I mean, it, we have a um, up to 75-day after planting uh, window control, which is which is pretty wide for a chemistry product. All right. So, when we talk bare, you've got a lot of different options out there. Let's say that I wanted to run Poncho, Votivo, plus the Nemastrike. Having a, a biological nematode product and a chemical nematode product, do you think there's an advantage to that? Well, so... You know, with with the uh, um, Poncho Votivo, I mean, we offered on on uh, some of our uh, Bayer branded corn, uh, Bayer corn brands. Uh, Poncho Votivo is not a Bayer product anymore. That was that was uh, that's part of the BSF company. But uh, oh yeah, that's you know, right. It, it, I I still get confused yeah. by that, Davey. It's yeah. It, there are a lot so, of things uh, that move there. Of, I have, yeah, I have a lot of background um, being in sweet treatment with Legacy Monsanto, and I, I can tell you that. Uh, you know, we, we screened, looked at them both in combination with each other. But if you look at the way that, that the, the Bacillus firmus, which is the uh, bacterial that's in, um, um, I mean, the fungal that's in the uh, uh, Votivo part of Poncho Votivo, yep. Yep. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's not a true nematicide. It's a kind of a repellent type product. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, and, and nematocyte being a nematicide, true nematicide, it actually outright causes mortality to the, uh, to the nematode itself. We never really saw any benefit of having the two together. Um, if you just look at district straight votivo versus versus nemastrite, um, you know, I mean, if it's there, it, there, there's no downside to it. But we we never did really see any upside to it as well. Okay, so, so with the nemastrite, just a year ago, you guys voluntarily pulled that from the market. How how does that look now in terms of the safety factors or anything to be yeah. concerned about? Yeah, no. So we we did that um, out of an abundance of caution. Um, that was a voluntary thing. Um, we just wanted to make sure we had we had everything uh, um, visible um, as far as uh, uh, safety, and uh, we we determined that you know the standard PPE that's the la- the language that's on every bag tag, you know, corn bag, soybean bag, ev- everything that's treated. The language, the standard PPE for the fungicides and insecticides we're putting on is is sufficient, actually more more than sufficient for nematrice. So we don't see any issues as far as far as all that but again we did that out of an abundance of caution just to make sure we were we were uh, um, extending the, the right thing out to the marketplace and having the right messaging around the product yeah absolutely all right again we've been talking to davy wilson with bear davy thanks a lot for the time today appreciate it yeah no problem all right well stay tuned we'll talk more soybean cyst nematode coming up right after this foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. 
Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like Waterhemp, Mare's Tail, and Giant Ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one-pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. Avoid the V-shaped pattern of injury caused by chemical buildup in your booms. The Express end cap from Hypro eliminates the dead ends that lead to herbicide buildup and provides easy access to your booms, giving a complete flush between applications. Hypro, helping you spray better. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio, talking soybean cyst nematode. Next on the show, we've got Jennifer Riggs. She is with BSF. Jennifer, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Excellent. All right. So soybean cyst nematode is our topic. When you get questions about that from dealers and agronomists and farmers, where do you usually start? Well, you know, soybean cyst nematode is one of those things that you don't really know where to start, right? Because it's something you can't see very well. Yep. So I think I'd probably start by talking about just the the, the, Z, the pathogen or the, the pest in general, that it is something that farmers have to deal with, but it's something they can't see they have a problem with. And so... Um, you know, making the right choices, understanding the history of your the land that you're on, making sure you've done the testing you, you need to do to de- determine what the SCN populations look like in your particular area, I think it's critical and a good starting point. 
Are you seeing more issues with the soybean cyst nematode here in the last few years, or is it really unchanged? Yeah, so that's another kind of an interesting question. I think SCN, um, when you look at where we grow soybeans today, it's been a problem for many, many years. Um, and our number one really um, means to fight it has been resistant uh, varieties. And I think our companies have done a really good job of providing that those varieties with resistance in them. What's happened, though, is because we only have one type of resistance that we are seeing some shifts. And what we see is the SEN populations within fields to where they can reproduce even on these resistant varieties. So I think while the SEN populations in general, if you went and counted numbers of soybean cyst nematodes, probably hasn't changed its its genetic makeup and its ability to reproduce on um, plants that it used to not be able to reproduce on, certainly there's evidence that that is happening across the soybean growing region. All right, so you deal with research and development, and you just talked about how this has been a widespread problem for a lot of years. As a farmer, I want to know, why do I not have more great answers for controlling this thing? Because it's really hard to control. I mean, it is a pest that survives not only on soybeans, but survives on many of the weeds that are in our fields. It's very adaptable to our environment. And so it is something that is um, once it's there, you just pretty much can't get it out of your field unless you go in there and destroy all the biology, living biology in your field. And we all know that that's not what we want to do because what would kill a soybean cyst nematode would also kill all our beneficial uh, things that are out there. So unfortunately, it's just something that we probably have to learn that we're going to have to do the best practices that we can and live with it uh, because we can't eradicate it. But I think we are seeing changes in what growers can do from not only, um, you know, cultural changes, but also um, better resistance uh, varieties coming up. There's new traits on the market. Well, we hopefully be on the market soon. In addition, there's now um, more seed treatments available. And while it, none of those on their own are the solution combined together that you can see some kind of integrated approach to tackling this problem. All right. So we were just talking in the last segment how BSF has Votivo now. Um, what, what else do you suggest for farmers that BSF offers? Yeah, so when you look at what BSF has for nematodes as a seed treatment point of view, we have both Votivo, which we, we sell and been part of the Pancho Votivo family um, for many, many years as a corn product that protects against corn nematodes, but it's also available for soybeans. But in addition to that, we have Alevo. And Alevo seed treatment, I think growers today think of Alevo as a SDS product. But Alevo is probably one of the strongest seed-applied nematicide products on the market today. So the same product that controls sudden death syndrome in your fields will also help be a good partner to the uh, genetics that you're planting as a nematode control product. Yeah, and there's a different rate. Can you explain the rate difference between if you're going for SDS versus soybean cyst nematode yeah. with Alevo? So, and first of all, I think there's some confusion that they think the SDS rate, well, the SDS rate is a little bit higher yep. than a rate that we would recommend if you don't have an SDS problem. So um, anytime you plant a rate that is an SDS, then you automatically got the rate for nematodes, okay, including SCN. Now, if you strictly have never had a problem with SDS in your field, which there's, you know, maybe some geographies that have that. There's also a lot of geographies, as we know, that has both problems. 
if you just strictly have an SCN rate, there is a half rate of what we call the half rate or the nematode rate. So it's it's a little bit less than what you would put on to protect against both nematodes and SDS. So it's uh, actually about 0.8 fluid ounces per unit of beans that would go on your soybeans. All right, last question I've got real quick. How about putting Votivo together with Olivo? Are you seeing advantages to having two different things in the tank? Or I should say on the seed. Yeah, on the seed. Um, Yeah, so I think we do. What we can see is that when you have two modes of action and two that quick protection you get from Olivo and then that little bit longer protection you get with Votivo that you can see, especially under high nematode pressure, an improvement in your final product of yield. As you know, um, it's all, that's the result from nematode is, is reduction in yield. And so when you put, combine both Olivo and Votivo together, you can see an increase in, in that bottom line yield number because of those two modes of action, combined with picking the right seed for your geography. <laughs> All right. We've been talking to Jennifer Riggs with BSF. Jennifer, thanks for the time today. Uh, thank you very much. All right, we're going next down to Ames, Iowa. We've got Greg Tilka on with us. He is with Iowa State. Hey, Greg, how are things going today? I'm all right. How are you, Brian? Excellent. So back in November, I got to hear you talk down at Iowa State, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to bring up to you today. One of the things that okay. you said that day was, soybean cyst nematode likes it hot and dry. <laughs> so right. uh, it's been cold and wet. Does that mean we're not going to have as many problems this year? I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> um, and the answer is yes. So uh, it, it might not be as rosy of a situation as you would hope, but soybean cyst nematode is a cold-blooded animal, and it doesn't like it when it's cold. It does way better in warm temperatures, and for some reason it likes it dry. So uh, neither of those two words apply to the upper Midwest over the past month. Um, so we've probably missed one turn of the life cycle. Um, and that is good news. I, I looked right. up in preparing to talk to you. Last year, I reported, somebody brought in on June 4th, soybean roots with SCN females on them, new females representing the first generation. Yep. We still don't have fields planted with soybean. So right. that underscores we could miss one turn of the life cycle. But if it turns hot and dry, then the nematode is going to crank up. And uh, one of, I listened to Jennifer's comments, and everything she said was, was exactly right about the biology. Um, the nematode also survives so darn well. That's another reason why we can't get rid of it. And so if things turn from cold and wet to hot and dry, we're off to the races. But we definitely missed one turn of the life cycle, one generation. Okay. The other thing, when I heard you speak in November, that I got to admit, I walked away from it a little bit depressed because it didn't sound like you had found anything that was this home run hitter for Mm -hmm. control of nematode, at least in Iowa. Can you talk to us about your results with some of these nematode or nematode products? Well, if you were depressed, imagine how I feel, because um, <laughs> it's an accurate statement. Um, we test uh, a lot of these new seed treatments. We have great funding from the soybean checkoff through the Iowa Soybean Association to do that testing, and we have dozens and dozens of experiments over years, and we get a positive result about 10 or 15% of the time. 
And the most frustrating part, I should say, when we get a positive result in terms of yield, it more than pays for the product. The most frustrating part is not being able to figure out why things work when they do and why they don't when they don't. Um, and that is um, befuddling. I think about it a lot. I don't know how to address that issue. Um, but seed treatments work when they do, and they will more than make money for the farmer. And when they don't, they don't. And I can't figure it out as of now. All right. So, Greg, uh, I, I'm up against a break here. If you wouldn't mind, if you could hold on uh, with me, I've got just a couple more questions for you. Would that be okay? Okay. All right. Yep, sounds sure good. Okay. We'll be right back. Uh, so today, again, we're talking to many people around the country about this soybean cyst nematode issue. I'm excited to ask Greg Tilka a couple more questions. We'll get to that right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better, built stronger, lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Sound the foghorn, because now there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Introducing Froghorn Fungicide from UPI. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time. And you won't be subject to stroby resistance. So get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, contact your ag chemical dealer. Always read and follow label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Waterhemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like waterhemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. 
AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. We're talking soybean cyst nematode today, and we've got Greg Tilka from Iowa State on with us. All right, Greg, so we were talking before the break about how a lot of your trials haven't turned out well. In, in other words, we haven't found nematode products that are giving us a great return on investment. But I know right. uh, one of the things that, that you had said last November when I heard you speak was that you're only testing fungicide, insecticide-treated seed, and resistant varieties. Is that correct? Um, it's always on resistant varieties, but it's, no, it's the, the nematode product. Um, that's, it's compared to the uh, base of fungicide and insecticide. So an example would be Alevo. Yep. Um, it is always on a base of Poncho Votivo. So the comparison treatment we do in our experiments is Poncho Votivo without the Alevo. Okay. So... And- but I mean, when you've got Votivo that at least has mm-hmm. repellency to, nemato- to mm-hmm. nematodes, right. um, then are we are we really getting a true test? So let's here here's why I ask this, because there are a lot of people the last couple of years that have said I'm going to cut costs and I'm going to put nothing for seed treatment on, other than okay maybe I'll try this Aveo or one of these nematode products. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything against completely untreated seed? No, we're not because I I don't. I don't know that I've ever met a farmer with that decision to make. So another another example that I, I like to test things that, that give answers to farmers and their decisions. Mm-hmm. So another one would be Syngenta's lineup of Clariva complete beans. Yep. So you can't get Clariva unless it's incomplete beans, right. which is on top of Cruiser Max Advance plus right. um, Vibrance. And right. so we, we try and pick out the common choices that farmers are going to make and use those in our experiments. And sure. yeah, there may be a maverick farmer here and there that decides that he or she doesn't want anything but the nematode component, but I don't think that represents the majority of sure. the farmers, and that and that's kind of the basis of our decision for the treatment. Sure. So my next question is, these resistant soybean varieties, what mm-hmm. if they don't, they aren't resistant anymore? What if they, yeah. uh, you know, all of a sudden we get some other biotypes, some other mm-hmm. so- soybean cyst nematodes that figure out a way around this? That's why I was just kind of curious too, why you weren't doing testing on non-resistant beans. Mm-hmm. Well, um, your point's well taken that we, we go to different farmers' fields. We don't do it on research farms. We do it, we rent from farmers. Mm-hmm. And some farmers have SCN populations that are hotter than others on the resistance. So sure. um, we track that. We always do. It's called an HG type. So we kind of know how hot the nematode is on the resistant varieties that we're planting there. But um, it's always a possibility. There's a more pragmatic answer to your question, though. And that is that we have a very, very, very hard time finding susceptible soybean varieties. <laughs> yep. um, everybody that brings out something new is building off of existing varieties, and they all have resistance. So they're just improving on varieties that have the resistance. And we want to include susceptible varieties in a lot of our other field experiments. And we literally have to scramble sometimes to find a bag of seed to use that's a susceptible variety. 
Um, and unfortunately, as Jennifer alluded to in the previous segment, it's mostly containing the same source of resistance, which is why nematodes are turning hot. They're building up resistance to the resistance. Okay, here's one last question for you. When mm -hmm. I'm always, as a farmer, focused on return on investment. And one of the things right. that we've started doing when I've got some fields where I have high pH and low pH, I know in the high pH areas I have iron deficiency chlorosis. So I literally will plant another bean there. We can plant mm -hmm. multiple varieties now as farmers. There are planters and right. drills that will do this. Is this something that you see with soybean cyst nematode that's a possibility? Are there hot spots in fields where you go, ooh, it would really pay here, but the rest of the field, maybe we use another bean or the same bean that's just not, doesn't have that treatment on it? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I follow your logic and I can't, um, I can't argue with it. I, I would say perhaps in my state, um, the nematode has been spread around in fields so much that there's probably fewer hot spots, although high <laughs> pH occurs in hot spots. Now, yeah. up in South Dakota, it's still it's still spreading, and same with North Dakota. So yeah. if a farmer knows there are certain areas that are worse than others, sure, I, I would say you can target those areas for a different variety or a seed treatment, but with one caution, if you plant a high-yielding susceptible, if you can get it everywhere else, that's an unlimited food source into which the nematode can spread. Sure. And so it's planting resistance everywhere kind of slows down the spread of it through the field. Yep. Gotcha. So there's always pluses and minuses. <laughs> All right. Great stuff as always. Again, we've been yep. talking to Greg Tilko with Iowa State. Greg, thanks for the time today. Sure thing. Thank you, Brian. Yep. All right. Uh, next on, we've got Mark calling in from Indiana. Hey, Mark, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Brian? Excellent. So here you get a couple questions for us. Yeah, uh, we were headed out to the farm uh, with the Midwest being pretty much wet and soggy. Um, where our farm is just about the center of the state of Missouri. And uh, the plan was pretty much to do maintenance work that day, but I was surprised when I got out to the food pots to um, find that they were dry enough to fertilize and plant. We had just stopped at the uh, co-op and nothing was moving that day. So kind of as an aside today, they've even told me that uh, whoever's going to plant the corn, it's planted, and the rest for the insurance settlements are done. The feeds, fields will be fallow, and uh, everyone else trying to beat the rain for the beans. But um, yep. We got uh, our beans uh, for a long day uh, planted, our sunflowers planted, and uh, when I went to plant the milo, my cedar that I sent you a picture of in the past, did its true fashion and started jamming up, so we're going to have to go over that. So it leads me to my question. Um, prior to me going back over it with a disc or a rotor tiller, is there anything that um, you would recommend? Uh, I've planned a spray the soybeans and the sunflowers with Roundup and Spartan Pre, but is there anything that I can go over the Milo with that it's not going to require a big uh, investment or a separate tank mix or something like that so that uh, we can kind of keep costs down because we're just going to leave it out in the field anyway for the game or the fields were pretty clean going into it. Uh, would you just recommend just maybe letting it go and see what we get? Uh, well, that's certainly a possibility, especially when we start talking food plots. I agree with you. There are a lot of people that don't want to spend a whole lot of money there. But if your question is, is there something I can use in front of soybeans and Milo, then there are a few products. Uh, I mean, is that kind of what you're after? 
Yeah. Okay. That's what I was hoping. Yep. All right. So the first one that I think about, my favorite one, would be Verdict. You can use a high rate in front of Milo, and you can use a low rate in front of uh, soybeans. So that's really good. Otherwise, you can use one of the group 15s, like, for example, Outlook or Dual uh, are, are good products, and they are labeled in front of both Milo and and uh, and soybeans. The only thing that I will tell you with the Group 15s, um, uh, Outlook, Dual, even Verdict, you've got to have uh, treated Milo. So concept treated or you know some type of safener on that seed so you can use the Group 15. But as long as you do that, there's no problem with that. And you could use that in front of both Milo and soybeans. Just if you use Verdict, make sure you keep the rate low. Five ounces is all you can use in front of soybeans and 10 ounces in front of Milo. Now, what I have to uh, keep when I'm going to put on top of my sunflowers then, uh, something different, more stay with the Spartan or? Um, uh, yeah, in front in front of sunflowers, Spart- you, you don't have, okay, so let's put it this way. I, sunflowers and soybeans, yes, you can do the same thing. So you could do Spartan <laughs> and you can do Roundup. You can even yeah. do a yellow, uh, like Trifluralin or Prowl. Sure. But if we start talking sunflowers, soybeans, and Milo, well, now we got a problem. Well, I'd be a rich man if I invented that, right? <laughs> uh, well, I, I will admit, though, there aren't a lot of guys who uh, have all three of those crops, but there certainly are enough of them in the United States that, yes, uh, you would probably do well for yourself. <laughs> well, the reason I, I, I gravitated over to the Milo, it got so late in the season, uh, I just kind of said, I, I don't think I'm going to get what I want out of the corn. So, sure. Um, Let's just make it look pretty out there and, and give them something they want to eat. So. Yep, gotcha. All right. Well, hey, Mark, thanks a lot for calling in today. Best of luck to you down there. Yeah, we'll talk later in the year, sir. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. We've been talking about soybean cyst nematode today, but we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. Every season, you try to raise the bar to achieve your best corn yield ever. But disease can stand in the way, like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, anthracnose leaf blight, and southern rust. New Delaro fungicide can stop them. Two different modes of action work on the diseases for the entire spray interval, delivering best-in-class dual mode of action residual efficacy for extended performance. It's the help you need for personal best yields. Keep raising the bar with Delaro from Bayer. Always read and follow label instructions. Using NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERV delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERV is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. (laughs) That's like explaining wind shear to a pilot. Now, Mother Nature stresses corn the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Headline Amp Fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your corn can focus on what matters most, better yields. Talk to your local rep about Headline Amp Fungicide and BASF Plant Health. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. 
Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid can help you increase yields and crop quality. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question comes from north of the border up in Canada. It is Terry asking about a 200-acre piece of land he has, and he says it's perfectly flat and I believe very sodic. I've attached the soil tests, and I was wondering if this ground would be beyond repair uh, with tile. The land gets a decent flood in the spring of each year, then average rainfall for the rest of the year. It would require a lift station. Uh, I have a cheap source of gypsum, approximately $40 a ton for field amendment if I need that. And also most of our land is a clay loam to sandy loam with a higher pH in the 7.8 to 8.3 range. And I was just wondering what you thought about tile and spreading gypsum on this type of soil. Well, uh, Terry, when I look at your soil tests, I, I there are a couple of things that are bad news, basically. You've got 18 to 19 percent sodium-based saturation. I, I, I'll, I, I hate to even say this, but when I see that, I go, oh no, this is going to take me a while to fix. It's going to cost me money. And I don't know how you're even raising anything right there with that much sodium. Um, there are only a few crops that are, are pretty tolerant to sodium, but even at those levels, it can be pretty toxic. Um, also, the other concern I have is 40 cation exchange capacity. That's really heavy ground. Now, we have some land that's uh, that's actually not all that much different than that in terms of cation exchange capacity, but sodium percent, that is just tremendously high. Plus, 53% base saturation magnesium and only 24% calcium. Um, look... Could you put tile out there and could you put gypsum out there? Absolutely. I mean, if you worked on treatments and worked on on this tile and you tried to bust up soil compaction, you try to get uh, the sodium flush through, you try to get the magnesium flush through, you can do it, but you're probably looking at a 20-year project. And here's the whole thing. The farm economy right now is not 
what I would consider fantastic. If it was, I'd say, sure, go for it. But otherwise, honestly, if it was me and I could get good money selling the ground, I'd probably sell it. And I hate to even say that. But it's just the return on investment. It's going to be there eventually. But you're going to stick a lot of dollars into it. And it's just going to take some time to get this thing turned around. Now, for everyone listening, here is just a, 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 a good thing to talk about and be thinking about all the time. Did his sodium percentage get to 18 or 19% overnight? No, it did not. Now, I don't know. Maybe when the ground started getting farmed 100 years ago or whatever it's been, maybe it was bad already way back then. I don't know. But in a lot of cases, what we find is this thing creeps up over time. It starts at 1%, then it's 2 then it's 3 then it's 4 And 30, 40 years later, it's 8 or 10%. So my point is, if you start seeing sodium issues at the 1% or 2% level, let's get it addressed now before it is going to cost tons of money and take lots of years to get it fixed. So yes, uh, Terry, to answer your question, could you use tile? Could you use gypsum? Absolutely. It's just going to be a long, drawn-out process, and it's going to take a lot of finances to, to get this done before you start seeing really good yields on that field. And it's going to be years, unfortunately. All right, next question comes from Brent in Nebraska. He says, hi, guys. I sprayed the three pre's for soybeans 20 days ago, but I was wondering if I could switch to corn. Would that be okay? No, uh, Brent, that would not be okay. You've got uh, yellow, trifluralin or prowl, I assume, metribuzin, and then either authority or valor. None of those are okay to rotate to corn. Uh, and then his next question is, what's the best way to kill cattails in a ditch? Well, if it's a ditch where you don't mind killing everything, you can go with Roundup, use a very high rate with a very low rate of water. Or um, if you can't kill everything, what are you going to use? If it was me, I'd probably use Distinct. And here again, I'd, I'd cut my water volume way down, and then I would uh, uh, go with the highest rate of Distinct there is. It's not going to be perfect, though. I really like Roundup. That's my favorite thing. The other thing you could use is a wick if the cattails are up above everything. Uh, just wick it with almost straight Roundup, and you'll be in, in pretty good shape. All right. Uh, next one is from Michaela, who, who says, uh, Ag PhD, you're talking about this, uh, and I don't even know. Uh, they didn't say which uh, weed it was, but this is uh, we, we're talking about a weed of the week. And they say, your argument that the reason to kill this is because it's a weed. It's a circular argument. What evidence can you share to show it's damaging to crops? Well, look, anything out in the field that's not the crop is damaging to it, period. And there's evidence for the last, I mean, for centuries now about that. So that that's just the way it is. There are a lot of beneficial plants, even like, let's say, corn and soybeans, the top two crops in the United States. When corn is in a soybean crop, it's a weed. When soybeans are in a corn crop, it's a weed. That's just the way it goes. It absolutely hurts production. There's no farmer in the world that's going to argue with you on that. All right, next one is from Doug in South Dakota. He says, uh, hi, guys. I'm planting dicamba or extend soybeans this year. Uh, bean on bean field. It got weedy. Now it's got eight inch tall mare's tail and water hemp. Uh, because of the cold wet weather, I've had delayed planting. It's been a tough spring. Anyway, he says, I'm tilling with a soil finisher twice in the bad weed areas. The soil's still damp and there will be some escapes. Will Sonic, after planting, uh, plus the dicamba uh, to burn down the escapes, will that work? And if so, what dicamba product is recommended, the rate, any other tips? Okay. 
So if we're talking Mare's Tail and Waterhemp, Sonic is going to have some activity. Sonic, what that is, it's got first rate in there. It's just like authority first. It's it's uh, first rate in there and authority. So the authority has burned down activity on both Mare's Tail and Waterhemp, although not great. Uh, it has good residual on Waterhemp. The first rate in there can knock down Mare's Tail if it's non-ALS resistant Mare's Tail. I can't promise you that it is, though. Um, having the Sonic in there to me, or the uh, first rate in there to me, it's really not a big deal. If you could go, let's say, straight Valor or straight Authority or straight Spartan, um, that's if it was me, I'd probably do that. Why spend the money in the first rate? I don't think it's really that necessary. What I would do in terms of the dicamba is I would use one of the labeled dicambas. That would be Ingenia, Fexapan, or Extendamax, and you're going to want to use the full rate. So like with Ingenia, it's 12.8 ounces, and with Fexapan and uh, Extendamax, you're talking 22 ounces. Just use that. Make sure the weather is warm when you spray, and you should get those things under control. Then post-emerge. I won't get too worried about it. You got dicamba beans. It's just in the state of South Dakota. Your limit is June 30th. You have to be done spraying by then. So make sure you get it hit before then with the dicamba and uh, you'll be just fine. Now, I, I would always tell you too, and just like one of our last questions here about the three pre's, we really encourage people to use the three pre's. A yellow, metribuzin, and either Valor or Authority. So now you've got three residual products for water hemp and you've got extra control for the mare's tail. So that's the direction that I would go. All right, next one is from Dig. He uh, just had a comment. It, well, yesterday we talked about moldboard plow. Uh, I had so many emails in talking about this moldboard plow segment that we did recently on IPHD TV. This one, Dig says, uh, tillage will be illegal in a few years. Mycorrhizal health is the answer. Um, Dig, I, I hate to argue with you, but I'm going to because tillage will not be illegal in a few years. Tillage will always be allowed. We live in a free country, and as farmers, we can do what we want with our ground. I'm not saying that moldboard plowing or tillage is always the best thing. I'm just saying that it is an option sometimes for some people. And in terms of mycorrhizal health, if your argument was true, then if somebody goes out and more road plows, then theoretically they should have worse yields, but in many cases they have as good or better yields, at least for one year. So mycorrhizal health, yes, we want that too, but that is certainly not everything when it comes to farming. All right, next one is from Nick in Wisconsin. He says, I've got a field that butts up to a major river. We, didn't, we don't ever spread fall fertilizer due to the river coming out of its banks. Now, with all the cold and wet weather, we did not get our, a chance early this spring to get our potash application on. Well, now the ground's fit for planting. Can we still spread that potash and get the benefits out of it? The ground is 30 CEC, 7.8 pH, and very low K at 1% base saturation. Also, how much is too much to spread on this type of ground at one time? Nick, we've got some ground very similar to that. We've gone as high as 1,400 pounds of potash and seen no negative effects. Now, I'm not telling you to put 1,400 pounds of potash on. Uh, I, I'm just saying you can put on pretty high rates if you've got a 30 CEC. But anyway, yes, you absolutely can still put potash on. It may not all be available for this year's soybean crop, but you got to do something. You're at 1% base saturation K. Soybeans need crazy high amounts of pot or potassium so absolutely i would still put some on till it in and uh, and go plant 
All right, well, before we go, just want to th- say thanks to our production staff, thanks to all our guests who called in, and uh, thanks to all who wrote in with questions as well. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.